My people, what's going on? And welcome back, everybody. We are here for another episode of the Jigsaw. But I want to welcome y'all to all my countrymen, my city folks, saints and ain'ts, friends and family. Welcome back to another episode of the Jigsaw. You know how it is and you know what we do. This is the podcast where we talk about the perils, the praises, the productivity and the pumping circumstance of being a black millennial shoot, a black person right here in America. How are you all? Everything okay? everything okay yeah it has been um man an interesting week partly because we finally have a vp nomination we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the billboard but we have one and the responses to it has been very interesting um we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff via the billboard and a greater conversation i just gotta let y'all know i'm super excited because we're going to start our Sunday school segments this week. I'll say more about that at the end as well. But I think there's going to be something that you all are really going to like and appreciate. They're kind of like these super soul Sunday vibes where we're going to give like some inspirational tidbits and think pieces for us to kind of process through as we close out our weekend and go into another week. So I really hope that you enjoy that. Um, got some awesome stuff in the pipeline that I'm going to share some very minimal details about, but you already know you're going to get it first. Um, but that's enough of this intro. Let's sit back. Let's relax. Um, let's get us a cup of coffee. Let's get us a drink, some water, whatever you got. And let's dive right into the podcast. Y'all ready? Let's do this thing. This week on the Blessed Report, we want to shout out General Charles Q. Brown. Brown makes history as becoming the United States Air Force's first black chief of staff. He was confirmed earlier this week by the Senate in a vote that was 98 to 0. So it was a bipartisan agreement. Um, and in his previous roles, he served as the commander of the Pacific Air Force, the executive director of the Pacific Air Combat Ops staff, and he was the deputy commander of the U.S. Central Command. He is the 22nd chief of staff for the Air Force, but the first black one to serve. Shout out to you. Um, shout out to all the amazing work that you're going to do in this capacity and bless up my brother. This week in the billboard, let's talk some current events and hot topics. So um, Jill Scott is gearing up to play Mahalia Jackson in a biopic that is coming to not Lifetime, not BET, not TV One, but to the big screen. It has not yet been released when the film will um, will air or when it will come out. But they have chosen Jill Scott to play that role. And it's being produced by Queen Latifah and Jamie Foxx. This is exciting. Because so many times they get casting wrong. And while she's not like a dead giveaway for looking just like Mahalia, she does have some similar features. And Jill Scott can sing. I'm interested to see how she uses her voice to kind of mimic the nuances of Mahalia Jackson's voice. But I'm also great that they chose Jill because I also appreciate Miss Jilly from Philly as an actress. So I'm also really interested um, about how she portrays the role. I know about Mahalia Jackson, but I don't know a lot about her personal life. So I'm actually, actually very interested in her story. And I'm excited about this role. Um, The baby. 
is a popular rapper right about now. Most of you know that. And, you know, he has some bops. He got some stuff that we can jam and listen to and things of that magnitude. Um, But he just falls into that category that I've consistently talked about when celebrities don't have the good things to say, that they should be quiet about all of the things. Okay, (laughs) it makes no sense that you should be talking when you're not well versed, when you're not educated. And I know that he probably will. You know, if people call him to the carpet on it, he's probably going to say that he doesn't care and things like that. But he had the gall to get on social media and say, um, something along the lines of, I'm going to let y'all keep doing what y'all doing, but y'all must be stupid if you think I'm not going to vote for Kanye West as president. Bro, have you lost your mind? I don't really care what your allegiance is to Mr. West, how much you respect him as a musician or anything like that. All that he is doing is creating the possibility for Donald Trump to actually secure the election. There's always been a chance that Donald Trump will win re-election, but people voting for Kanye West in any capacity is almost helping secure that possibility even more. The one thing that gives me um, promise about this just not happening is the fact that he will not qualify to be on ballots in the majority of the states. He's waited too late. They're rejecting his, you know, application and things like that. So you probably won't even be able to vote for him, a dub baby. Um, so let's 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 just do that. And you know, and it's just disappointing that you use your platform because here's the other thing: there are people who, like for whatever reason, will probably listen to the baby. I, I'm never taking my political advice from as much as I enjoy his music from the baby, like Mr. Kirk. Not happening, sir. Um. But yeah, like, nah, not at all. So he missed on that. And as much as I am disappointed, I'm not surprised by his sentiments because niggas gonna dig. And (laughs) that's exactly what he did. So amen to that. Something interesting in the world of academia, my alma mater for my second grad degree, um, Georgia State University will now offer a course based on the legal life of Miss Candy Buris. Um, it's going to be based on her career and how she navigates all of her business ventures as a singer and actress and a business owner and all those kinds of things. Um, it's going to navigate that side of her life. She is the second installment of a series called The Legal Life Of. In this class, this series is Taught by Professor Mo Ivory at Georgia State's um, Law School. And the class looks into preparing students for entertainment law. Last year, they focused on Ludacris. And this year, it'll be on Real um, Atlanta, Real Housewives of Atlanta star Candy. I, you know, I when I first read the headline, I was like, what in the world? But, you know, reading more into it and figuring out what it's about, how it kind of gives insight into people's lives as far as you know entertainment lives in terms of their career how they navigated the highs and lows the success and the failures i think that that's really important we see so many times in biopic films specifically around singers in the 80s 90s how they were done so dirty with their contracts in the music industry and i think for those who want to go into entertainment law specifically representing artists and looking out for their best interests this would be a really dope class i love that they're featuring black um entertainers that's really dope um so I, I really like this and to everyone who's attending now i'm not sure if this class is restricted to students within the law school program 
But I do think even if it is, this is something that's really dope. And if you are at Georgia State as an undergrad or a grad student, you have the capacity to take an elective, definitely look into it. Had I known, I well, let me take that back because I was working full time and a full time grad student all at the same time. I probably did not have the capacity. But had I known, it would have been very tempting to take a class, even if it was in the summer, which I doubt that those type of classes are offered in the summer. But, yeah, it would have been very tempting. So for those of you who are there and if you're in any Atlanta college and you have the option to cross register, which means that you can take classes and receive transferable credit um, at another school. If you have that option, definitely look into it if it's offered to more than just the students within the law school program. So shout out to Georgia State for that. Um, and lastly, in the billboard, our um, pretty much presumptive, I won't even say presumptive anymore, but our Democratic nominee for president is Joe Biden, and he selected yesterday his vice presidential candidate, his running mate, and it is California Senator Kamala Harris. Now, personally, I was partial to Kamala Harris uh, during the primaries. Say what you want about her attorney general, uh, her record as an attorney general, um, but nobody on the ticket was perfect, right? Let's start there. Um, and I just kind of want to dismantle some of the ideas that I've seen and I've heard about Kamala. She isn't black enough. She doesn't identify as black. She identifies as that. Now, she may be of mixed ethnicity, but I've heard Kamala personally on several occasions identify as a black woman and recognize her struggles as a black woman and her deep ties to social justice and civil rights. So that's not true that she doesn't identify as black. Sis attended an HBCU. She's a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Just as a side note, the AKAs are about to be going crazy <laughs> from here on out. But yeah, so like this whole question of her blackness and she tried to be down. No, I don't think she tried to be down when she did certain things. But she, I mean, she went to HBCU and she's AKA. Like, I think she's very in tune with her blackness. I think she very much understands culture. The difference, the issue is, is that a lot of times we see black people, even without, even within our own community, let's have a community conversation real quick. We see people um, as a monolith and that's not necessarily true. Black people are mon not monolithic. Um, she had, and because she doesn't necessarily present uh, herself in a way um, that has blackness that you probably would approve of. Now you question her blackness or say that she's trying too hard. So let's get that out of here. No, we have to be able to recognize the diversity of how black people present and how we show up in the world and that it is still enough. OK, and then secondly, the other point, let's talk about her attorney general record. Yeah, she did some stuff as an attorney general. We also have to understand that prosecutors are going to prosecute. And I mean, and that's, just, you know, one of my one of my friends said that we were kind of having a brief conversation about it. And and that does not excuse some of the harshness that she may have had, particularly on black and brown people. But, you know, as an attorney general, you also have to know that her job was to represent the state, right, to represent the metropolitan, the, you know, the, the administration that she was a part of. So if black and brown people, specifically black folk, found themselves in those courts, then she had to act in a way that upheld law and justice from that perspective. Now, are there ways that she could have 
eased the burden and the sentencing and things like that? Absolutely. And those are some of the things that I found pause with, like even in your role while you're up, like, you know, let's take a talk about the attorney general of Kentucky and with Breonna Taylor. I understand that you have to go through the investigation, but that does not eliminate all of the other facts of why those guys should not be in jail. So the same thing could be said for Kamala during her tenure, just because you're upholding quote unquote, a certain law and you have to go through certain policies and procedures and protocols and things like that does not mean that there could not be things in place that could have benefited black and brown people residually. I'm not saying that they need to receive some type of favorable treatment, but what I am saying that we do understand that certain laws and stuff are when they are created, they disproportionately affect black and brown people. And she had the power to kind of dismantle that. And she did not. Um, so that is what I will admit. That is something that I definitely um, would not necessarily be lenient um, about in recognizing and reviewing her credentials and her record. But what I will say is that I understand. The legal mind and my political science training understands it. My social justice side of me and my pro-blackness, you know, is it is a major critique of her, right? What I will say, though, from the time she was attorney general, and this is where people are missing it, from the time she was the attorney, attorney general all the way up until today, her stances, right, her advocacy and her policies have shifted. She's had the opportunity to grow and to rethink, and she said it. She's acted it, and she's done it. And I don't know what more you really want from a candidate, right? Barack Obama, as great as a president as he was and as a man and as a figure, there were so many more things that he could have done intentionally for the black community. Yes, he faced some issues with a Republican um, legislation, Republican legislator um but the, but there were so many things that we could critique him on as far as being the first black president and some of the things that he did not do or was not as aggressive about right um and but and those are fair critiques but at the same time if you look at his tenure as president you can recognize maybe why he didn't do some of those things you can understand why you may not agree with it you can't understand but it does not eliminate the critique and it does not eliminate all of the great work that he did as president of the United States. And the same goes for Kamala. Give her an opportunity to really reconcile some of the things that she has done, some of the policies that she has enacted. As a senator, she has been absolutely phenomenal in her role. And that is the space where she's kind of worked uh, with her criminal justice reform and kind of dialing back on some of the toughness that she showed as AG. All right. So I think she's more than qualified. I think that she's great. And I do not, I will not tell you to vote for the Biden ticket simply because she's black. I won't say that. You have a right to choose whatever you want to choose. But what I will say, when you make the cognitive decision not to vote because you're unhappy with this ticket, you are tacitly agreeing and supporting Donald Trump. I want you to sit with that. And some of you may get all hotep on me and say, well, it don't matter. We don't vote. We don't elect the president anyway. And look at Hillary Clinton, blah, 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 blah. Right. What happened last year with Hillary Clinton and the popular vote is popular vote is somewhat of an anomaly. OK, that doesn't typically happen in that way. And that's why the Supreme Court ruling where the electors have to side with um, the consensus of the state is very paramount in this upcoming election. What we must do is 
If you are disapproving of Donald Trump as president, if you're tired of all the toxicity that he spews out into the world, the lack of leadership, the ignorant statements, the overt racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia and everything that he exudes as a quote unquote leader, then we must do what we can to put an alternative administration in the office. Now, people are saying that Biden is a lesser of two evils. He was definitely not my first, second or third choice choice for president, but it is what we have. And I am not necessarily enthusiastic about voting for him. But what I am enthusiastic about is the opportunity to get a better administrator, a better policy leader, and a better thought leader in office. And if nothing else, I know that Biden is going to be pressured to surround himself with very qualified, intelligent, up-to-date, relevant, and relatable people. He started that with Kamala Harris, okay? Some of y'all don't like that. But what if he put Elizabeth Warren as his Secretary of Treasury? You know how she goes off about um, regulating these big tech companies and these billionaires. She's going to wreak havoc. You know, he would have the choice. This is the other thing you have to think about. He would have the choice to select a Supreme Court justice, right? Some seats that are open there. He has the choice to um, undo some of this craziness that um, Betsy DeVoe is trying to do. He has the choice to implement our HUD secretary and get Ben Carson and his dumb self out of office, I mean, you know, out, out of that seat, right? He has the power to do that. And I believe that the team that he's building and the people that are surrounding him will help him make really wise and equitable and great decisions for the administration that will be under him. Right. So that is how we have to look at it. We have to look at some of the leadership that we're going to receive to help us navigate this pandemic. Right. While next year we may be at a better place with Corona, we still need future plans and future policies and protocols to help us navigate the future of life with COVID existing. Because while we may go back to some sense of normalcy, there will always be the need to figure out how we navigate this disease. Okay. So all that said, I know this is getting kind of long. This is not my wheelhouse or my soapbox to say vote Biden, Kamala. What it is, is that let's not be so critical on her Right. When you have when all you did was look at what she did in the past and not necessarily look at how she's what she's done to reconcile that. And at the same time. Right. Not give her the same grace you want someone to give you. You've made mistakes, stuff that people would deem unforgivable. But you want an opportunity. Right. To be to, to do better and to do it again and to try again. And I think she has that opportunity. What our job is, is what I'm committed to do is to hold that entire if they are elected to hold that entire administration accountable while they are in the White House. That's what our job should be doing if they are elected. So get out there and vote. Don't be on the Internet complaining and doing all this other kind of stuff, because half y'all don't know what the heck y'all are talking about anyway. And one thing that Charlemagne said um, that I believe is very true is that you can feel how you feel about her. But you do know the Trump administration is about to attack her like crazy, all the way from her marriage to the fact that she doesn't have biological children to her, her criminal record, to the fact that she's, quote unquote, tough. They're going to try to really um, defeminize her and, and uh, all different kinds of things. So we must stand. 
even if you don't own the whole I'm for her, for her black as a black community, what we do need to do is stand and protect her as a black person, but more specifically as a black woman. That is our responsibility. And I am charging all of you to be able to do that. All right. All right. So let's get ready to get into it. Today's conversation is going to be fun. I have my biological sister on the podcast today, and we're going to talk about if you're getting married, how to navigate, you know, this whole process while you're in a pandemic. And even if you're not getting married this year, if it's a year off, if it's two years off, she just dropped some real dope nuggets on how you can navigate what can be a very, very stressful time in the lives of adults. All right. So let's do what we always do. Let's grab our drink. Let's grab our snacks. Let's grab our coffee, our water, whatever it is. Head to the living room, take a seat on the couch and let's get into um, this living room conversation. What's going on, fam? And we are in another segment of the living room. And today I am excited because I have a real life family member. My <laughs> biological sister is here with me. And we're going to have some amazing conversations about being married in an entire or getting married in an entire pandemic. But I'm going to let her introduce herself. She's the expert here. Rashonda, tell them who you are. What do you do? Hello, everyone. My name is Rashonda. Um, I, and I like to go by the name of your bridal guide. And pretty much what I do is I focus on the bride by helping her navigate through the wedding world stress-free as possible, you know, by giving her tips on how to find the correct vendor that suits her, um, how to pick her bridal squad, how to avoid the pitfalls, and most importantly, to make sure that she and her soon-to-be husband have a budget. Okay. So that's what's up. And I know it's been woo, almost eight years since I've been married and um, got married rather. And it was something that I don't necessarily have to go through ever again. <laughs> all, the, all, all the money being spent and everything that's yeah. going on. So let's just dive like straight into it. Um, let's talk generally about the wedding planning process for a minute. What do couples, what's the first thing they need to be thinking about? Like once they get engaged, what's the, what's the next thing they need to think about? Once they're engaged, the first thing they really do need to talk about is budget. They need to talk money. Uh, and they really do need to come to a conclusion as to what they're willing and how much they're willing to spend on their budget. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how much your cousin, your friend, your neighbor said they've spent on their wedding. It really just comes down to them too and what they're able to afford and what they're able to uh, handle. And I like for them to give two amounts, a minimal and a maximum. Um, so if you say, hey, my wedding budget is 7,000, but my max is 10. And okay. that's what they definitely need to talk about first. Not your colors, not having the people you want, you need to talk money. But so how needs to come up first. So how important is that minimum and maximum? Like, you know, because for me, if I said my, my if it's 7,000, <laughs> I ain't trying to reach the 10. <laughs> so the reason why I give the second number is because sometimes um, once you're planning and you're getting everything you need, and one thing I always say is always get your needs over your wants. Mm -hmm. So you're in your needs and you say, hey, but I want doves to be released. Yeah. That's an extra $300. We just say something simple like that. You know, there'd be an extra cost for that. Um, and then that's, now you're going into your max amount. Yeah. But whatever you do, don't go over your max. And I like to kind of always go to the real world when you're about to buy a new car. Mm -hmm. You know, people always can say, you know, I want my, I want my car note to be like $300. 
But if I have to, you know, I ain't going over five. Right, right. You know, so kind of look at it in that, you know, in that situation as well. But we definitely want you to stick to your minimal. But if you have to, definitely don't go over your max. That makes sense. And I guess one of the things that a lot of people may think is the first thing to do would be to set a date. Right. Because even yeah. when you're, you know, so, so why, why, I mean, how important is the date though? Right. I got my budget, but like, is that next or like how important is setting the date? So that is actually one of the most, one of the most important things too, after you do your budget mm-hmm. and it's actually your venue and your date, they kind of go hand in hand, but I would make it the number one thing. Budget okay. is always going to be number one, but once you get your date and your venue, venue, that's like your next step. Okay. Most of the time um, when you're starting out, I think it's best to get a month and a year. And because um, sometimes when you try to go into a venue with an exact date, you don't know what their books look like. Right. So if you can at least have a month and a year going in, you're you're doing well. And then you can eliminate and go from there. But if you go in and say, hey, I want it to be September 2nd. And once you go to that venue, they're like, oh, yeah, wait, we don't have September 2nd. And you had your heart set for this particular date, and now it won't happen. So, I, you know, first, yeah, get your, your date and then go get your venue. And on the venue side of it is most venues go very quickly. This pre, you know, pandemic and COVID-19, mm-hmm. especially if they're a very popular location, they're booked and busy all the time. Right. But now since we're in this a new time and new way um they're either now fewer numbers mm-hmm. or don't exist at all because they just couldn't survive it from being closed yeah so definitely once you have the date your time frame go get your venue so the venue is the next is like that the first big ticket item that they need to be that's getting. the very first big ticket mm-hmm. item because they go the quickest most people do not realize this or know this but some places allow you to book a year in advance yeah They'll let you book that far out, you know, especially if they're really popular and people want this particular location, they're being booked a year in advance. Mm-hmm. So once you have that date and you know you want to go here, you better go ahead and get to their place. Because if you sit on it, it may not be available. And that's real, though, because I remember when Ash and I got married that we wanted, I, I know we wanted September twenty. 12 yes 2012 <laughs> is when we got married and i don't think we had a date we just kind of knew like fall-ish early fall mm-hmm. late summer type thing and to your point we didn't have all the like expertise and all that kind of stuff but to that exact point about going in there with like a month and a date like we ended up getting we didn't choose september 1st that's the only date that that venue had mm-hmm. left um and and we searched around for venues for a minute because atlanta's wedding market is ridiculously yeah. expensive <laughs> um because one of the places i'll just throw this out here that we wanted to do the venue was free i was like okay they was like, but you got to buy the food and I, was like, I was like okay that was like but it's a thirty-five thousand dollar food and beverage meal and i was like oh no okay wow. <laughs> and, and it was like one of atlanta like imagine um the peabody okay. it was like that kind of hotel super grand super whatever i'm just like i ain't we <laughs> i don't even know how to eat thirty five thousand dollars of food but food is one of the most expensive things that you're spending mm-hmm. on your wedding most people think it's the venue or even your decor but it really yeah. is the food food is expensive and once you um nine times out of ten once you go to these venues um even if they say it let's just throw out a number thirteen hundred dollars to rent 
let's just say that, yeah, or or under. But where they're gonna get you at is at the food and beverage and mm-hmm. say, oh, it's twenty five or thirty dollars per person. And if you're looking at a hundred to one hundred and fifty or more, that's where your money coming in at. It's gonna get you and hit you in the pockets with the food and oh. Don't add alcohol beverages. Oh, it's really going down now. Uh, listen. <laughs> it's really going down. We had whole Coke and Sprite cans on the table. In my I'm, look, I'm fine with that. <laughs> we look back. We look back at we look back at the pictures like we had the country cans on the table. <laughs> but that's what it was. My dad worked at Coke. And we was yeah. going to get them free drinks. So like, yep. okay. So now that they've got like their date or their budget and their venue, like, what are some things that have maybe that you've noticed that shifted in the wedding industry from times past, like when our mama got married, like versus today? So one of the biggest shift change is things have virtually went virtual. Mm-hmm. It is that's just where we at now. Wedding, the wedding industry is very hands-on, face-to-face type situation. From um, walking through to see the venue from. Uh, cake tasting to tasting your food to trying on your dress like everything that is wedding considered or considered wedding is face-to-face contact and now we've got to the point to where that is um eliminated or just mm-hmm. not happening at all and that's one of the biggest um changes that is going on right now in the wedding world but what about but what about more so like traditions like is a bride still doing the new old blue all that kind of stuff are people still getting like gifts you know like have you seen any like traditional shifts so believe it or not traditionally people are still sticking to the flow of the wedding okay the the uh old saying you know the day before your wedding, you don't need to see your husband, you mm-hmm. don't need to see the bride. Um, yeah, the something old, new, blue, borrowed. All of that is pretty much still the same. Anything that I kind of think that really has shifted uh, traditionally will be the fashion. Fashion okay. is one of the biggest things that I think have changed. Um, even like with our groomsmen, you know, back in the 90s, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you know, our men was in um, a classic black and navy suit and don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with yeah you can't you can never go wrong with black and navy but you would never really see them outside of those colors mm-hmm. every now and again you'll see somebody in some white you know or some tan but for the most part they stuck to the navy blue and black now uh the men are in hunter green they're in the deep reds and burgundy yeah their jackets are suede you know so the fashion world has really changed uh, from there and even from our for the bridesmaids most women are not wearing dresses now mm-hmm. they're getting married and uh, they're having their bridal squad be in pantsuits some of the brides are wearing pantsuits um, some brides would usually you know you kind of used to the typical you know off white white ivory color dress yeah. that's not the case anymore you know now uh, my favorite look actually is the wedding dresses with a soft pink hue up under the, like the underlying mm-hmm. dress or powder blue. Like I love that look, but the fashion is one of the biggest, biggest changes. Everything gets pretty, people like tradition. They stick to it. Yeah. And I know like Asha forced me to watch a few episodes. I say yes to the dress during the quarantine. <laughs> and there was this um, young lady on there getting married and she was just adamant about having a black 
dress yeah. and she wasn't gothic or like a a, um, a satanist or anything like that mm-hmm. but she wanted a more after five look for the whole party and her okay. mom and daddy was like no <laughs> <laughs> no and they like she ended up picking a, a white dress but it was but to your point like you know she was like super adamant yeah um, about finding that because she wanted this particular look so Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of traditions, so let me ask you this, and, and maybe this is an obvious answer, but big wedding or small wedding, is there a right way to do it? Or is it based on budget? Is it based on family? Is it like, what would be your advice going into a couple? Honestly, um, weddings has always and forever be about preference. Mm-hmm. Nothing would change about that. Um, so in short answer, no, there's really no right or wrong way to do it, whether yeah. it's big or small. It really does um, come down to the couple and what, in the, and what they are wanting. Um, however, public opinion is always different, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can be in a situation, you dang if you do and dang if you don't. But like I said, in short answer, no, there's really no right or wrong way. It really is just up to that couple and what they're willing to do. In these times now, um, if I had to choose, I would say go smile. Just just to, you know, keep everybody safe and, mm-hmm. you know. But so, just- so, let me, so let me ask you this. I'm going to throw this out there. How do, you, how do you handle or mitigate the situation where you're in a pandemic, you were having a, let's just say, average-sized wedding or fairly large, a couple of hundred people, mm-hmm. Which means you also may have eight or nine, maybe 10 bridesmaids, groomsmen initially. Now you're like, we got 50 people only. I ain't wasting 20 of them on (laughs) y'all. How do you deal? Like, how would you deal with or encourage a couple to deal with? This is how you need to cut down that bridal party. You need two people. Yeah. So what I would say is most people always like to say family first over friends, right? We mm-hmm. use that mantra and that title for everything. Right. And for those who want to stick to that, you can. If you have siblings, um, definitely make sure your sibling is in the wedding or your best friend. Um, and the same thing is on the groom side. As far as your um, the wedding guests go, is definitely always start with your immediate family first. Now, as for me, you know, my immediate side of the family is large. So it would be really hard to kind of do it, but I think you should definitely base it upon um, who you're closest with. Now, that's going to be a hard pill to swallow because what you think is close and what somebody else may think are two totally different things. So um, I would divide it between the bride and the groom. If it's 50, she gets 25, you get 25. Make your 25 count, you know, and base it, really base it upon um, when the last time you talked to this person, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're doing friends and even family, they're going to be a hard pill to swallow as well. Listen. But even for family, if you haven't talked to your cousin in five years, they're not going to make you cut this time, you know. Um, even if we're for a friend, and y'all could be really good friends. And I know friends don't talk all the time and every day but if it's got to the point where a year has passed the friend may not make the list either so i would consider those types of things you know put that in you know position this is not a family reunion so don't try to make it one and you know us that's when we get (laughs) together weddings and funerals and i was just thinking like um because there's some family members i know if i were getting married during a pandemic that they just wouldn't make it 
Yeah. They wouldn't make the list because I had a cousin who <laughs> RSVP. We had three different ways to RSVP. And that joke of his whole family RSVP all three different ways and still did not come. Still didn't come. Uh, so to that point, like, I would have no problem. Like, he would be, even though I probably wouldn't have that prior knowledge, but because he's kind of a distant cousin, I probably I would have no problem not extending but it. I'm glad you actually said that because um, use their behavior now. If they don't show up now, Mm-hmm. Like right now, everyday stuff, birthday, and we talk about pre-COVID, birthday, right. whatever, graduation, whatever the case may be. Uh, look at that. You know, you invite them places and they never come. You know, pay attention to their behaviors and how they're acting right now because what they're doing now is going to also show but up. But they be panini invited. pressed if they don't get that invitation. And <laughs> people do. People want to be invited and knowing that they're not going to come. Mm-hmm. They know they're not coming, but you know, hey, if it comes down to it, you just just be real with them. Be like, hey, uh, you don't ever come to anything. So, but yeah. So, okay. I've set my date. What is, I guess, what are the next few steps in the timeline? I got my date based on my venue availability, right? So, like, mm-hmm. what are some of the things, like, what's the timeline? Do Because, you know, some people, and that's the other thing. Everybody's timeline is different. Like, we waited a year, yeah. personally. I know some couples who waited literally, like, three or four months um, to go ahead. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, a wedding wedding. It wasn't, like, no hitch thing. They had a wedding. They were stressed, but they mm-hmm. did it in a few months. <laughs> so, I guess, just give me, give me, like, a short timeline, a long timeline. What's, what are the next steps? What are the steps? So on the, because it's such, so many moving process, you know, pieces when you're planning a wedding. Mm -hmm. And in short, I think the most two critical and key timeline is to make sure that your um, venue is secured and it should be done within like 10, if you're getting married a year out, at least 10 months before your wedding day. And the next critical timeline should be um, ordering your invitations which should be done six months before your wedding date so they could be mailed out six to eight weeks before your wedding date. Mm-hmm. Those are the two most critical key points in your timeline because if you don't do those two things, everything else is thrown out. Okay. You know, it doesn't matter if you already got your dress. It don't it don't matter if you have a dress and you you haven't secured a place to get married. Or it doesn't matter you have a venue but you haven't sent your invitations out and it's literally a month before your wedding. You know, so make sure those two things are always the most important parts because that's usually when people usually drop the ball, especially when it comes to sending, ordering and sending out those wedding invitations. Got it. So from, I guess, your point of view as a wedding consultant, who should be the most loud voice to the bride or to the couple? Is it the mom? Is it the, the maid of honor? Is it the planner if they have one? Like... You know how, and and if and if it is mom, right? How are you navigating as a consultant all these different opinions that everybody else got about the wedding? So this just me. I talk to the money. Mm-hmm. If you're not if you're not paying for this wedding and this reception, your opinion really doesn't matter. I consider it, <laughs> you know. But um, at the end of the day, money is really what talks at this point. Um, mm-hmm. It don't matter what your friend has to say. It doesn't matter at this point. Also, um, a lot of let's let's just be real. Family members feel obligated that I could I should tell you 
you know, you should have your hair not there, or you right. should pick this color and not that color. That becomes very overwhelming to the bride and groom. So if you're that type of person, please stop. Don't do it. It becomes very overwhelming, and it, it always makes the bride and groom feel like they have to consider everybody's advice and option when it comes to um, planning their wedding. And um, sometimes, like I said, it goes back to preference. If the bride and groom already have it set up in their mind that they don't want a big wedding, you know, they're going to have to stick to their guns. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to have a hard talk. Pull mama to the side. Pull, you know, whomever to the side and say, hey, this is what you want, but this is what I want. And this is how I need to do it. And if they have a wedding planner and say, for instance, that the, you know, the bride and groom don't want to take that chance, you pass that baton over to the wedding planner and let her have that conversation. And what does that conversation look like? Because that's a hard one from the the stranger. So the reason why I feel like it's the easiest because me and you don't have any connections. Mm -hmm. When this is over with, I'm going about my business, you're going about yours. But the one thing I always say is definitely say respectful. That's mm-hmm. number one. You will always be respectful. But two, you will also let it be known that this is the wishes of the couple. And this is my job to make sure they have what they're wanting and desiring. Mm-hmm. And I think and you have to, and you and like I said, always be respectful, of course. But I think it's easier because if the, you know, daughter do it, you may get timid and you be like, well, okay. Since you said mm-hmm. that, you, we can do Might that. Might get guilt-tripped into doing something. It, right, you will be, versus if you hand this over to your wedding planner, oh, there's no guilt-trip going on. You ain't my mama. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're not mine, so I can go ahead and tell you. No, saying no would be easy, you know, but again, staying respectful will always be the number one priority. So I've seen um, in the past few years that, there's become this common theme of people hosting. They're going, people are going less and less away from church weddings. Like yep. that's one thing. And one mm-hmm. reason is because just the ease of having everything in one space. Like I can get mm-hmm. married at this venue, flip it, and then have my reception. Do you think one, that this trend is going to absolutely increase post Corona, even during Corona, simply because like we're all in one space. We ain't got to worry about sanitizing this one and sanitizing that one. Like we're already here. How do you see, the venue game changing, you know, more drastically people leaving the church as far as ceremonies. So um, the drastic change will be if they're saying venue for now, let's just say this, Mm -hmm. let's just say for the rest of 2020, um, large crowds is probably pretty much a no. Yeah. It's pretty much a no at this point. Um, So if you kind of can go back to going back to wedding, uh, ceremonies, it may help you out a little bit more, especially if it's a nice size um, church. Okay. With a nice size, you can fit more people in there and they can still somewhat be social distancing and everything. Um, but as far as the drastic change go, that's one of them. The, the large crowd will be one. The, the next one will be that you have to come in here with a mask on. Normally, that wouldn't happen, but now that's the case. And even to the point you may have to get your temperature check taken. The new normal is this, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So um, I would actually consider, and also with that being said, with the venues, most people aren't able to do both at one time. So you're either going to have your reception here or you're going to have your wedding. 
because they won't be able to really keep up with cleaning and sanitizing the way they should. So if you want to still do both in one day, I would definitely consider having one one spot and have another somewhere else. That's you know what? That's actually a good point because I'm sure they would want to flip. And like the way they flip a space probably will really change. And it probably mm-hmm. could help out with their whole guest listing. Like you said, if you get married at a large church, maybe you could still invite 150 odd people, 200 people yeah. to the church because the church holds 500 folk. And then mm-hmm. you know, only 70 of us travel over to the, you know, to the reception. The reception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the groom. Let's talk about let's talk about him for because you know we don't we don't get a lot of love in this in this no. process sometimes. And I remember when I got married, my thing to Ashley was I just want to pick out my guy stuff because I've said all the time I like I like the way I dress, so I want to be mm-hmm. able to do that. And then I wanted to have control over the like you can pick what song you walk down on. That's your business. That's your you know that's your moment. But I wanted to help control the music because I'm into music. Right. Uh, I tell people all the time my party trick is that I was a former minister of music. Um, people don't know that. So I keep, <laughs> I keep that tucked away. But because of that, my love for music, I wanted to control it. So saying that, like, what is the what is the groom's role? Is 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 that changing traditionally? Is he more involved now? Is he still like, just tell me when to be there and I'm gonna be there? Like, what are you seeing shift in, you know, the groom's perspective? Can I be honest? Yeah, sure. Okay. So um <laughs> Honestly speaking, it really just depends on the woman and the bride-to-be. So if she is a personality of a dominant-type personality, she don't want the groom nowhere near. It doesn't matter what the groom has to say, has to Mm -hmm. offer. It's her way, my vision, her vision. That's it. Um, And I also think, too, we say we want your input, but we probably really don't. And if we do like your input and consider it, it's because it's matching with our vision and what we wanted. <laughs> a shame. If we can be honest, <laughs> but uh, just aside, seriously, most grooms really are kind of like, just tell me what time to be there. Mm-hmm. They don't care about, um, I think one thing they really do care about is the food. I think they'll be down to go taste the food, but to see a centerpiece and all of that, yeah, they don't care about really that. don't. Yeah, it don't interest them at all. You know, they may have one or two things that they want to consider, and that's it. And from there, just tell me when to show up. You know, um, I'm not really seeing the trend where grooms are really stepping in mm-hmm. like that, but I'm sure there are men who want just much of an input as the um, as the women. Yeah, and like I said, I didn't really like the centerpieces, all that kind of stuff. I didn't yeah. even really care about colors. I just wanted to, once you decided mm-hmm. the colors, I wanted to make sure my guys were straight, and I wanted to yeah. make sure we had a solid DJ and like a band, like all that kind of stuff that we mm-hmm. had because we had a live piano. Yeah. So that was like that. What was important to me because um, mm-hmm. I also wanted my reception to be a celebration. I didn't want it to be yeah. this stiff. I could be a preacher, and that's cute, but we gonna party. We gonna celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have to celebrate and celebrate. So um you kind of talked through this, but outside of the, the changes in the big crowds and you know, maybe wearing a mask, what are some of the other bigger challenges that you're that you anticipate seeing once once we get back to whatever normal is, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think what is the lasting impact? Because and you know, because think about like 9-11, right? When 9-11 happened, we could still fly, but how we flew 
changed drastically. Like we couldn't go mm-hmm. to the back no more. You know, you couldn't have certain things in your in your suitcase. So it really changed. So what kind of shifts do you see? Like, of course, people still gonna get married at some point. They're still gonna have the big extravagant weddings. But what is that one thing you can kind of foresee will be like forever changed? Um, to be honest, I don't. Let's see, because I want to say this without over speaking and saying. It ain't right, you like that. But I honestly think that um, I think social distancing will be a big thing. You still think it'll be a thing, even I after? I still think okay. it'll be. I I do believe that it still be a um, a big thing. And uh, also, I think that. Well, let's go from the people side. People are ready to get back to entertaining and having fun and having big gatherings. Um, but post pandemic and COVID, I don't see us getting back to that so quickly okay maybe down the lap line but as like a 2021 i still don't even see that happening Mm -hmm. um i think social distancing will definitely still be in effect it may not be as strict as it is now uh, but i do think that it will still have some plays put into place i also think that the virtual world will stay like it is um, less contact as possible. I think that'll be something that will be a challenge for most people because usually when things start going back to normal, we want to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. But in the wedding world, I think they may just keep it as, hey, we can Skype, we can Zoom, you know, I send you pictures, you tell me what you want and keep it a virtual thing. I also don't see that going right back to things. Um, but of course, if the people had it their way, they'll go straight back to how it was. But um considering that the government is kind of on their neck at the same time to make sure they're doing right, I think they would do everything they have to do so they can stay in line with the rules and the regulations. Got you. Um, just, just, I'm going to ask this just off the cuff. What are, and it, and it kind of ties into this thing with the social distancing stuff too, because we try to, as much as possible, keep our boys, our young boys, away from people (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we have to take them to the store that's cool but like do you think like people are already saying i want no kids at my wedding so so do you think this is (laughs) to an extent i do too um (laughs) but do you think that this social distancing is going to like further push their point because people don't already don't want their children exposed so like you know, don't bring them because ch- children are disgusting. They call <laughs> with their little mouths open. They touch everything. <laughs> so do you think that's going to like probably something that we see even more common among couples? Actually, I think now it will be with for the um, for the children, but I also say for the elderly people and just regular people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people um, my age that's kind of like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm just not going, you know, I don't care what's going on. I'm, I won't be there. Um, but definitely with this going on, I do think it's responsible for the parent not to just bring to, you know, not to bring their child and also not to bring their elderly parents. Now I get if it's your mother or grandparents or whatever, but let them be there for the wedding. They don't have to be there for the reception, you know, let them be there for just one part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I can see it on for any age group, actually, mm-hmm. just depending on the person, because some people are scared out of their mind about this. And rightfully so. I, right. you know, I get it. Right. Um, but I think it just really depends on the person. OK, so we're going to give it a wrap up. And before I'm going to ask you like two more serious questions, but I got something I want to <laughs> ask you to have some fun for a minute. Um, 
But before we do that, give me like three things that you think a bride should absolutely avoid in this wedding planning process. Avoid mm -hmm. overspending. Okay, absolutely. Because <laughs> we got to live after this wedding. <laughs> you have to live. Um, try new things like makeup, skincare routines, uh, food, oh, out. Yeah. Stay away from anything that's new. And uh, most importantly, um, this may be a little, um, <laughs> stay away from the people from um, If I Were You. Stay mm -hmm. away and avoid them at all costs. Um, try your best. If, you, if it's possible, stay away from the If I Were You type people. Oh, yeah, you can tell. I, I, I ain't never had a problem <laughs> to nobody shut up and get out my... <laughs> Listen. Stay, stay away from them. Um, That's why you're single now. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, stay away from that. That's that's the biggest thing right there. Mm -hmm. No, that's yeah. no, that's real though, because you don't want to find out you have an allergy to something. Oh, uh, <laughs> two days yeah. before your wedding, and you look Please like Gina from the that. episode of Mark. Please don't do that. Make sure your dental stuff is intact. Um, don't try new hairstylists. New, don't try any of that. Mm -hmm. And if you do, make sure you do it months, months. I'm not right. even talking about two months. Uh, at least six months in advance. So if something is wrong, give you time to recuperate, heal, and everything else. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. That was my thing to avoid. So, you know, every black sitcom has like a wedding scene mm -hmm. right so i got two questions the two iconic wedding songs among black sitcoms are from the jamie fox show when he sang yep. to fancy mm -hmm. and then living single when sinclair overton got and then kyle and khadijah sang mm -hmm. what's your favorite oh that's a hard one <laughs> they're equally the same i cannot pick you can't pick. Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> okay, so let me let me make it let me make it hopefully a little bit more simple. If you were getting married for the for you, I know you're already married, but let's say you get married in a couple of months and you have to pick one of those songs, which one would you say this is the one for my wedding? Uh, you're making me go against the culture. But <laughs> I would definitely I would probably go with Jamie. Only because his song okay. was slower versus Cala Khadija. Khadija had a more up even though it's a beautiful song, mm -hmm. it was more of an upbeat type tempo song. So I probably will pick Jamie. I'll okay. Pick Jamie. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we'll dance to Khadijah and Cal. And that, that'll be your first, your first, first dance. dance. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it all still. I'm still not picking. You know, we still can use both. Yeah. Got you. All right. The next iconic wedding scene is that of a different world. The baby, please, <laughs> baby, please. <laughs> right. If it were you, I guess, audience, family member, like, how would you have, as a, okay, let me do it like this. As the wedding consultant, how would you would have reacted in that moment? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, seriously, um, if it happened, I think that's when it comes to play where um, you have to have some men there that's, that's able <laughs> to hold another man back. Mm -hmm. Or even another woman back. We can, we can throw it both ways. Another yeah. man back, another woman back to be able to handle that. If they're allowed and outright, I mean, of course, there's it's only so much of right. stuff to be quiet, you know, <laughs> so like you exit stage left. It's only so much you can do. So I would definitely have to, back, you know, get some backup. Um, I actually saw this on uh, Facebook yesterday. 
And it was this lady and a guy, of course, they're getting married. Mm -hmm. And the woman comes up hollering, saying, I got your baby. Why are you not returning my phone calls? Like, she's going in. Like, she's (laughs) really loud. You retarded. I'm like, wait a minute. If you retarded, why not have a whole baby with him? So, whatever. That's going on. But the bride's daughter comes from the front. Okay. Running to the back, cursing, because she's ready to fight this lady. Mm-hmm. So, in that situation, when it has gone that far, it's really nothing that the wedding planner can do at this point. But try to gather some people around and say, hey, because the embarrassment has already happened at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you would definitely need you some men, like, okay, you, 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 come here and help me do this. But when they're loud, like the scene from Different World or the, you know, from, the Facebook video I was talking about, it's just like, oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening. So, all right. So, you last one. Let it rock out. <laughs> last one. Your favorite engagement scene. I'm going to give you three. All right. So, we're going back to living single when um, Overton and Sinclair, they were, they supposed to get engaged in the park, but they got mugged. Well, let's just imagine they didn't get mugged, right? Okay. So, they had this, you know, nice moment in the park, blah, 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 blah. Martin and Gina. They also in the park. He had his friends involved. He yeah. had Brian McKnight come sing. All this mm-hmm. beautiful thing. And then we got your favorite show, Girlfriends, where Joan finally gets <laughs> engaged at the end. All of her friends, you know, she looking rough because she, I mean, he really surprised her. But like yeah. her her teachers and we saw Melanie Derwin from the, like everybody, her cousins, everybody. Your favorite engagement scene and why out of those three? Okay. I think I'm going to go with Martin. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. The reason why I'm going with that, because I love the scene when he did bring Brian McKnight there Okay. to serenade her. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime you can have some good serenade, the answer probably going to be yes anyway, you know. So he serenaded her. He really poured his heart out to her. So yeah. I would probably pick the Martin scene. Proposal thing. Okay. I ain't mad at it. and carriage, them horses stink. You know, <laughs> it seems like it's cool, but they really stink. They do kind of stink. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I ain't never been on one. I just walked past them. Yeah. And they, they mustard. And they be throwing their tail like. Smell like butt butt. And I ain't yeah. trying to be around it. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm all right. I'm straight. I'll All right. <laughs> So as we get ready to wrap up, what like give me some or give the brides and grooms out here who may be listening a last piece of advice as they try to navigate this wedding process, specifically during a pandemic. So the um, number one thing to do is have a good support system and a good squad. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody, like I said, that is very reliable and um, that you can count on. Also, I also think that you should also make it your business to not go into this marriage in debt. I know I've been saying that and beating it over the dead horse, but it it really is very important. Uh, We said it already, but we'll say it again. You know, a marriage, excuse me, a wedding is only what five, six hours after a day, but your marriage really is for a lifetime. So don't allegedly, you know. Allegedly, should be. Should be. I'm not just playing. Should be for a lifetime, <laughs> but uh, 
make sure you really don't go into starting your marriage off on the wrong foot. Yeah, and going absolutely. Into debt because you are already bringing in your debt and his debt, and mm-hmm. now you got your own debt, and now mm-hmm. this debt on top of that, and you can are you're gonna go in stressful. So please don't do that, um, and make sure you do what's best for you. What works for you? Sit down, have yeah. a talk, and and go from there. You'll be all right. Bet. Okay. That's what's mm-hmm. up. So I hope all y'all engaged folk who are listening, <laughs> hope y'all learned something um, and realizing that just because things have changed, it does not mean that your special day still cannot be special. You just got to adapt right. to the changes. So Rashonda, thank mm-hmm. you for joining me in the virtual living room. But before we close out, tell the people, how can they follow you? How can they get in contact with you? What do you have going on? Okay, so of course I'm on social media, Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram name is Kinsley Bridal, K-I-N-S-L-E-Y Bridal. And my Facebook name is actually Rashonda Stokes Kinsley Bridal. So um, but of course you put in Kinsley Bridal on Facebook, I'll pop up. Mm-hmm. Um right now, um I am getting my website up and going. I'm hoping to have it launched by September. But right now oh. I have it available where you can DM me. I have your bridal uh boxes your bridesmaids proposal boxes flower girl boxes ring bearer boxes um and i'm also working on a book or journal and it's going to be called um (laughs) you're engaged now what so once you get engaged i walk you through the steps that you should take from there and hopefully there will be lunch in september as well Good deal. So y'all go follow her on social media. Look out for the book. Get one of your bridal boxes. They're super, super dope. We're going to close out this segment. We're going to head into the next segment. I like to call him my brother's keeper, but I got my real life sister here. So I am my (laughs) brother and sister's keeper. We're going to talk about some black people self-care. Let's do it. All right, we're here for another segment of I Am My Brother and Sisters Keeper. We're going to talk about some Black people mm-hmm. self-care. Rashonda, tell the folk what you're doing this weekend, this week for self What you What you doing for you? Okay, so actually my anniversary is August 10th. Come we'll on. Going on. Yeah, we'll be going on seven years. And my self-care is to go and get a pedicure. Like, on, pedicure. I am going to get these nails and feet done. It's been a struggle. Got the Rona feet. Yeah, it's been a real struggle. <laughs> with the people being closed. Um, so I would definitely, that's my number one priority for my husband and I, to pamper ourselves on that day and enjoy each, other, each other's company um, without our children. Just some peace. To ourselves. That's what's up. Um, <laughs> for me, you know, I ain't been getting my haircut doing this Ronald because where I'm going. So right. I think, <laughs> so I think it's time for one of my, you know, bi-monthly haircuts. I'm going to get me one. Because, you know, us brothers, y'all know, we feel better. We move different when we got a haircut. So I think I'm, you know, yeah, like like getting yourself together is a thing. So I think I'm going to go sit in somebody's chair and get my hair cut soon. I don't know if I'm going to do it this weekend, but I am going to at least schedule it so that yeah. I can prepare to feel more <laughs> like the normal, regular Josh. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's what's up. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you, sis, for joining me um, in the in the virtual living room. We're going to get ready to get out of here and go into our final segment that we call A Greater Conversation. Let's do it. Let me talk. So there were a few things that I processed this week considering 
um, that I considered rather to talk about in a greater conversation. And one of them was the attitude that you blacks have toward um, Kamala Harris. And I've given enough of my thoughts about that in the billboard. And and that's why I decided to do that, because I I let it happen there. But this next piece of rant and rave is that I want to bring to the table is that concerning the responses toward Cardi B and Meg the Stallion. Now, if anybody knows, last Friday, I want to say, they put out a song entitled WAP, right? And for those of you who are mature and those of you who are grown, uh, WAP stands for Wet A Pussy, right? And that's what it stands for. It's vulgar. I already know. You know, we, we can go into all of that later, the semantics of all of that. Now, while you may have very strong feelings about the vulgarity of the song, some of the things that they said, um, how they presented it in the video, I think you have a right to do that. But what I am frustrated with are the conversations around um, how they are disrespecting themselves, how in some way this seems brand new. This is not new at all. And even I won't say it's a past generation because there are some generational barriers here. Right. There's a group of people who are saying in our day, we didn't talk like this and we didn't say things like that. And that's a lie. Uh, While some of the things that you said were coded, it was still very vulgar between the sheets, Isley Brothers, turn off the lights. Like while those may be innuendos, if you listen to the verses of those songs, they are filled with expletives about what they're going to do and what they plan to do sexually. I actually saw a IG posting that talked about um, they talked about what did they talk about? Oh, a blue, an old blue song from a woman, I think in the 30s or 40s or something like that, where it was a, and she was talking about riding him to the cows come home and eating his butt. I mean, and she was very, <laughs> she was very explicit in what she wanted to do and what she wanted to have done for her to her. So none of these concepts are new. Now, does that excuse the vulgarity or make the vulgarity right or wrong? Oh, absolutely not. To say that somebody did something in one one season to justify what they're doing it now is not real justification. It is not a strong argument. It is not an argument that will really stand the test of real debate, right? But what I will say is that we can't automatically blame this um, on this generation, or we can't blame this as something new when this has been happening for years and generations and decades, right? That's th- that's the first thing. The second thing is that especially for us who are Christians, we have to stop expecting non-believers or non-Christians, right, to act in accordance to our level of ethics and morals. It is not going to happen. There is no way in the world that you're going to go, you're going to see somebody arrested Let's just let's just use an example. You're going to see somebody arrested for being a drug dealer and then go out there and say, "You know, they shouldn't have been drug dealing. That's what the saints blah 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 blah." They they're not a saint. They're not, they, 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 you know what I'm saying? They may believe in God, but they don't, they don't live, you know, a life necessarily according to, you know, what we believe in Christianity and the church. So we don't, we don't even have that level of expectation for them. It's the same thing with Cardi and Meg. I'm not here to judge their walk, their level of belief or their level of faith. But what I probably, what I probably can say is that they are probably not the most spiritual women, right? They probably are not, you know, the most church going, whatever, whatever. And you can have, whatever thoughts or feelings you have about that. That's not what I'm debating. What I can say, though, is that we can't expect gospel artists or whatever, whatever expectations from people who do not subscribe to that themselves. Right. That's for us in this Christian faith. 
It's just, it's just not something that an expectation that we should have for them. They're not missionaries. They're not preachers. They're not evangelists, right? They're not these people. So we need to let go of that level expectation from them. And if you don't want your children listening to their music or partaking, then that's something that you need to reconcile in your household and figure out how you can mitigate that with your children and the people that you're connected to, right? That's the second thing. The third thing is that I have a real problem with people with, I have two problems with, you know, men right now, you know, and I'm a man. Here's my problem with some brothers. And, you know, well, part of this goes to women too, is that oftentimes here's the first part, because the, the second part is specifically about dads, right? But here's the first part with men and women. So let me take that back. It's not just the brothers, it's men and women. The first part of this is that it seems as if this level of behavior or this song, whatever you want to subscribe, whatever you want to say that Meg and Cardi has put out, your problem really comes to a head when women are doing it. Because every time you listen to a Chris Brown song, a Tank song, Juvenile, any rapper who talks about, like we can go down the list of rappers who said anything super vulgar about what they was going to do to a woman and her vagina, how they was going to lick it and stick it and flip it and go deep and beat it up and put it in her mouth and put it in her butt and put it on her butt and all like all these other types of things and what they wanted done to them so they can be licked and sucked and kissed and whatever, right? All of these things that were not at all, not at all, you know what I'm saying, nuanced or innuendos, right? It was very explicit. It was very out there. It was very much so in your face, sexual, explicit content. Those songs go on our playlist when we having sex with our wives and our husbands and, you know, and or partner, whoever you with, right? That's that that's that's good playlist music or that's good turn up music. How many of y'all was backing up from the nine nine and the two thousand? How many of y'all was at Freaknik back in the nineties, right? How many of y'all was listening to Uncle Luke and his music is disgusting, right? How many of y'all listen to You Don't Know Now and the baddest be, you know what I'm saying, by Trina and Trick Daddy now, right? How many of you all were listening to shoot, even some of your fave R and B faves who were really talking real, real nasty back in the eighties and nineties as well? 112 with peaches and cream in my bedroom and all these different types of things, right? These things were in your face. It was loud. So I have a very, um, but the problem is though, is that most of the things that you find acceptable was because it came from men. As soon as it come from a woman, she's a hoe. She don't appreciate herself. She don't value herself. Where's that same energy when we do, when we talk about like that, you know what I'm saying? We can, we can debate all day about, um, the sanctity of someone's body. But at the end of the day, any adult has the choice to do whatever they want to do with it, right? They have the choice to own their sexuality. And it seems like there's only a problem with that when men are able to own it. But when women are able to decide and to choose what they want to do, not just to please a man, but for them to be pleased themselves, it becomes problematic, especially in marriages. Cardi B is married, so if she wants to do A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, and triple X, X, X to her husband, that is her business. And she should be able to do that. And whether or not it is our business for us to know what she does and what she likes and how she likes it, we can, you know, you can debate that. Then you can debate that with your auntie on your own time. But it was her choice to expose that to herself. Now, Meg is not married, but she's also choosing probably, I don't know, it's not my business, but she's probably choosing to engage in sexual activity. I'm just praying that the girl is being safe while she's doing it. But even as a person who is sexual, she still has the choice to know what she likes, how she likes it, and to be able to own that about herself. And women 
right, have the right to be able to do that. Those are their bodies, their level of pleasure, what they seek is on like it's it's what they want. And there should be nothing, whether we think it's hypersexualized or not. And that's another argument, you know, because I mean, society itself is hypersexualized. Let's just go there. It is. But at the same time, the, 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 the crux of this is that we can take men knowing what they want, how they want it, how they want to be pleased, how they want to give pleasure and have no problems with it. And just kind of wink an eye and be like, ooh, girl, he did this. And bros be like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's the energy, bro. You know what I'm saying? But when a woman does it, she's a hoe. She's doing too much. I don't like her daddy. One, You know, her daddy didn't raise her right. And uh, the same people who say her daddy didn't raise her right are the same ones who want her to call him daddy. No, sir. You know what I'm saying? So like that's that's my problem. We have to be we have to allow women. That's a part of women's rights and, and, and feminism. We have to allow women the option and the ability, not even the option, their right to be able to own their sexuality, own their experiences and be able to, you know, boldly say this is what I like. Now, should they say that to the world? Eh, I don't I don't know if I want my wife saying all of that to the world, but at the same time, she definitely has space to tell me what she wants, how she wants it, when she wants it, how hard, how soft, all that different kind of stuff. Because she because that's her body and sex is also is while it is about pleasing your your partner, it is also about having a pleasurable experience for yourself. You want you should want to enjoy it. So there's there's that part too. The second part about this is about black fathers, and it was really um, well fathers in general, and it really catapulted when I saw a post, an IG story post from this gentleman who prefaced, you know, after he asked the questions and asked, you know, was it appropriate or was it this or was it that, he ended up giving one one of his explanations by saying, you know, as a new father to a daughter, I think this. Why is it that you have all these morals and all these convictions about women and sexuality when you have a daughter? You weren't thinking about that when you was knocking down her mama. You weren't thinking about that when you was having sex with anybody else you was having sex with. But now all of a sudden you have this thing about your daughter. I am not a father to a to a girl. I don't have the privilege to be a girl dad, um, but I do have nieces. I have sisters. So I do care a lot about them and what happens to them and how they're treated as well. But because I grew up with a father who was not like this ex, he wasn't sitting at the door with no gun. He wasn't that guy. He wanted you to treat his daughters well, both of my sisters. He wanted you to respect them. He taught them things and, uh, and allowed me, especially for my little sister, to be the type of big brother that would let like, me and my little sister used to go on dates all the time. Shoot, we just went on one this past um, December. I mean, November, when I was there for um, the holidays. I took my sister to the movie so we could spend some time with each other. And I say all that to say she knew how to be treated by a man. My older sister did as well. You know what I'm saying? So I, like those are the kind of things that he did because he also understood that while he probably did not want them to be having sex at 16, 17 or whatever age, whatever, like he also knew that it was going to be their choice if they decided to do so. They made the decision. No matter how much game some brother thought he had, it was still her choice to be able to do that. And now all of a sudden that you are a father to a girl, the real problem is that there's this sense of ownership that you feel like you have over her vagina just because you are her daddy. And that is problematic. It is problematic. It is problematic. Because you never have these issues until you have a daughter. You always want to pull the gun out. You always want to do that. And y'all can fight me, you know, meet me in my comments, email me if you want to. I don't really care. But you always have the issues when it comes, when soon, you know, it, it clicks. Yeah, you should be protective. 
Yeah, you should, you know, want people to respect your daughter. Yes, you should teach her certain things about how to navigate the world and the dating space and sexual spaces and things of that magnitude. But you should also teach her to be in love with who she is. You should also teach her that her experiences as an adult and as a person should be experiences that she should own and that she should love. You should teach her about the beauty of sex. You should also teach her about the safety of sex. And when she's old enough to begin to navigate those spaces from a mature space, right? You should be able to give her tools that, hey, don't let a man do this or don't do this just because he's doing that. Respect yourself enough to make the choice, right? And not be manipulated and not be naive in certain situations. But that is my problem. You know what I'm saying? I do believe that, you know, Meg and Cardi, um, first of all, they didn't sign up to be nobody's mentor. So let's stop there. Um, so let's, you know, that part of what their influence is. But at the same time, I would be foolish not to recognize that because of their star power, because, you know, of how they where how they present in the earth, that they are not influential to young girls who follow them. That is absolutely true. But at the same time, that is where we combat um, with parenting and skills, certain lessons and certain things um, until they're old enough to kind of process these concepts on their own. When I was younger, I listened to Three Six Mafia as a child, and they talked a lot about tearing the club up and doing drugs and fighting and killing and all other kind of crazy stuff. But at the same time, my parents did a pretty decent job raising me in such a way that that music was just that. It was just music for me. It didn't necessarily speak to my experience as an individual. Oh, I knew how to enjoy, you know, that music have a good time, dance, laugh with friends, but not go out and sell drugs on the street, not go out and shoot anybody, not be about their murder life or anything like that. Right. And, but that came with parenting. But if you are so afraid that Meg the Stallion is going to all of a sudden mean that your daughter going to bust wide open on the next man that she see, then you have a greater issue. That ain't Meg issue. That ain't Cardi issue. That is your issue. That is a, something that y'all need to figure out and to talk through as parents and as individuals. And if we did more empowering with our, with our children, and sitting down with them and having these tough conversations instead of just telling them what they can't do and what they're forbidden to do, but really talk with them about some of the consequences and the risk of doing some of the things that they may be thinking about and just informing them on how to be wise and how to navigate these spaces. Of the jigsaw is about anyway, navigating these spaces, figuring this crap out. If we had those type of conversations, then we'll be a lot less pressed to be worried about as a grown man what my daughter is doing with her vagina. Right. That shouldn't necessarily be the resting issue every time you see somebody twerk, because what the gag really is, is while you having this think piece on your social media, you probably in your group chat with your friends screenshotting parts of the video that you enjoy the most and talking about how wet and juicy and gushy that you like it. Right. We, 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 we got to stop this. This level of ownership that we feel like we have over women in general has to stop, brothers. It is not our job to own them. It's not our job to tell them how freaky they can be or how they can do that. That is their choice. That is their right. And you have a right to decide to choose when you're dating, when you're courting, whatever you want to do to decide how far you want to take it or what you want from a woman, what your expectations are. But it is not your right or your or your place to be able to tell her how she can manage her sexuality and her experiences when it comes to sex it's not cool man and we gotta chill on it so i'm not gonna tell you what to think about wop the song i'm not gonna tell you what to think about cardi and about meg but i want what i do want you to be able to do is have a perspective that says that it's not my place to 
to try to downplay or degrade these women because of their exp- their bold expressions about their sexuality, right? Why can't she enjoy whatever she wants to enjoy and still not be a hoe? Do you know what whoredom is, right? Just because you enjoy a certain thing doesn't mean that you enjoy that with 15,000 people. You just enjoy what you enjoy. So A plus B in this case does not equal C. And we have to soon be able to be in a space where we can maturely articulate that. Again, we can have different discussions about what this does for the culture, what this does for black people, how you think it might push us back. But in a general sense, some of y'all way too broke money wise, emotionally and spiritually to be having any conversation about anybody else when about how they need to be fixed and you ain't able to fix it. Fix your credit. How about you do that? Fix your broke relationship. Okay, how about you do that? Get the beams out of your own eyes. That's viable, right? And again, this is not my defense. Did I enjoy the song? I mean, it was a little bop. You know, I heard it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this is not necessarily my defense to say that this should be the national anthem. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, this is my place to defend their right to be able to create art that is really targeted toward a specific group of people, grown folk. Right. It it really is. And as a married person, I can appreciate some of the sentiments within that song. Right. So that's that on that. Um, so that concludes this episode of the Jigsaw. Um, I really hope you enjoyed it. Shout out again to my 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 real life big sister, um, Rashonda Stokes, who was on here helping us navigate how to, you know, how to deal with a wedding in the midst of a pandemic and just some really some great tools um all around. Um, by way of announcements, uh, I will not be hosting my workout class this weekend. Um, I have some big things in the pipeline. Um, I told y'all that the podcast is gonna shift and the Closer we get to that shift and it's coming real soon, I'll be giving you some real good details and some kind of sneak peeks about what that's going to look like. So please be on the lookout for that. Uh, this to this coming Sunday, in just a few days, you're going to be um, be able to hear the first episode of Sunday School, our Super Soul Sunday thing. And we have our guest, Marcus Thomas. He's been on the episode before. He's on the episode Daddy Issues. Um, he's going to be here talking to us about um, some really dope stuff. I don't want to give too much away, but that's really, but that's thing. You can always visit me on my website at IamJoshRogers.com. I have merch. My wife has merch on there. Um, So you can go support me and the podcast by doing that. As always, you can write in. Tell us something that your friends or family is doing by way of black excellence. Um, You can also write in to tell us what you're doing in terms of self-care. And you can rant and rave and have a greater conversation as well. You can do all of that by submitting an email to I am. No, wrong. Wrong address. You can submit an email to the Jigsaw Podcast at gmail.com and I will read it and, you know, possibly, you know, put it on the show. So please do that. Uh, follow us on socials at the Jigsaw Podcast on IG. You can follow me personally on Facebook and Instagram, Joshua Rogers, but specifically on Instagram at I am Josh Rogers. And I think that is a wrap, y'all. This has been dope. This has been great. I love y'all to life, um, but do not let this life stress y'all out. Why? Because you can only do what you can while you can. But even in the midst of you doing all of that, don't you dare get caught with your work undone. I'll see y'all next week. Peace.